let the celebration begin with four titles in the last eight years the run is not done the golden state warriors once again This is the Golden State Warriors Podcast, and now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Welcome back to the Warriors Podcast. Hi, Tim Roy, and today we come to you with a heavy heart, the recent passing of William Fenton Russell, the pride of McClyman's High School championships there, championships at USF, the University of San Francisco, and, of course, on to that Hall of Fame NBA career as player and coach and as a player coach. Part of the NBA 75th anniversary team, five-time most viable player. He was 11 times All-League, four times he won the rebounding title. He averaged 22 rebounds for his career, for his career. Never mind block shots, which he didn't keep during his career, but he would have set records there. But the most important thing about Bill Russell was that he was an 11-time NBA champ and he was a guy that stood up for things that he believed in he was in the front lines during the civil rights movement of the 1960s marching with Dr. King working with Muhammad Ali Jim Brown and other outstanding athletes who were trying to right injustice Bill Russell died this past weekend at the age of 88 we're taping this on the second day of August 2022 88 years and what an impactful life that Bill Russell lived Today, here's what we're going to do on the podcast. Later on the podcast, Jim Barnett years ago sat down with Bill Russell, and we're going to play you that conversation in a little bit. But first up, to help us get some perspective, we wanted to get Bill Cartwright on the horn. Bill Cartwright, of course, Northern California guy, played at USF, was drafted by the New York Knicks. And so the the comparisons there, they're both guys who played center in the NBA. They both went to USF. They both won championships. Bill Cartwright played with Michael Jordan, so I wanted to get his perspective on maybe what sets a Michael Jordan or Bill Russell apart and get an idea of where Bill Russell had an impact on Bill Cartwright's generation of NBA players. So that's where I'm going to start the podcast, the conversation with Bill Cartwright. But Cartwright comes away with it. That patented jumper, he got it, and he's fouled by Unsell. Isn't that phenomenal? Cartwright has hit his first three shots coming out here. Well, Bill, first of all, a pleasure to uh, catch up with you and, and talk with you here on our podcast. And, and we all heard the news, and uh, my son called me. He had heard it first and then told me what was going on, so I jumped online and, and started to reminisce a little bit. But what was your reaction when you heard the news of the passing of the great Bill Russell. I, I did have an opportunity to spend some time with him, uh, especially when I was younger. Um, obviously sad, uh, great man, uh, set of accomplishments. And obviously in these kind of situations, it's it's always sad to see something that great who had been that stable for so long uh, happen in. But, uh, but he had a great life, uh, great accomplishments. Um, you know, we should all just be very proud. I'm sure uh, all of his relatives, family, himself, proud of himself for what he accomplished. You know, it, it's it's interesting. My stint with the Warriors started a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> and, but during these most recent times when, you know, when the Warriors won a title and, and Bill was around, it really struck me, you know, for all the uh, talk we have about how, 
the younger generations don't respect the older generations. But when he walked into the room, when he was in the gym, uh, it was the reaction was unbelievable. It was the the respect that he was given by you know younger players who had never seen him play. I I thought was remarkable. I, I he, tell me what you think is his impact on on the league. Well, let's go back here a second, because I actually met Bill when I was in high school, and he was actually doing some uh, TV commentary. And he, you know, he is quite the prankster. So um, <laughs> I'm at Little Elk Grove High School, and here he is. He's, he's at our school. And the first question he asked me is, when are you going to be on TV? And and coincidentally, I had been interviewed by, I think it was CBS then, and the interview was going to be like the next day. So when he asked, "When you going to be on TV?" jokingly, I said, uh, "Well, I'm 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 going to be on tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, I mean, he is such a great story. Uh, obviously, I can relate to it because he's, he's he's a barrier area guy, and really worked his way up. Um, he was not really an unusual player, and and I want you to think about this uh, because he was a defensive player. Everybody of note, uh, they're they're either an offensive player or a combination but mostly offensive. This guy could dominate a game from the from the defensive end, which is um, nobody else. Nobody else I could think of. And that, that kind of dominance and that kind of impact in a game. And, uh, you know, to have him go from USF, uh, where he, you know, he did score well, but, uh, you know, you get a guy that's dominating the defensive end, 20 rebounds a game, and um, then after that, to be able to win two championships there, um, go into uh, the play for the Celtics. And, and how about the, the, the brilliance of Boston to get this guy, to, to, to trade for him uh and and get him in the boston where he he fits obviously perfectly because first year there they won a championship um 11 11 championships in 13 years um it's just um it's just nothing it's just nothing short of, of of amazing um to have that kind of dominance that's what really made him different that really anybody we've ever seen in basketball because he was he was dominating on the floor eight time all star from the defensive end. So I, I think it's just just really, really amazing. You know, if they if they were charting him with today's stats with all the things they do you know, they'd have a stat for, for him on how many shots he changed and, and blocks. You know, they weren't keeping blocks back then. I mean, he would just be dominating all the defensive metrics of today. But before I, I get more into that, I want before we leave that, the subject, that both Northern California guys, you're both the big guys, played in the league a long time. You won titles with the Bulls. He won titles with the Celtics. Did he have a role at all? Was there a, a role at all in you attending USF? 
you know, USF was in that conference, which is now the WCC. It was the WCAC. They had already played a significant role in that conference, so they were already really good. Even after Bill Russell, there was Joe Ellis and Ollie Johnson, and then later on, right before me, there was Phil Smith and uh, Kevin Rostani and Eric Furston and Mike Quick. And uh, so there was already a tradition in at USF and... You know, obviously, I was really aware that uh, that Bill Russell and also Casey Jones with the school there. So they had that that kind of tradition. So besides being a winning team or organization since 1949 when they won the NIT, so I was just really aware of their history, and that history included Bill Russell and Casey Jones. Uh, so it, it it did help me. Um, make that decision. So uh, I guess the really long answer to your question was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was part of it. He was part of that journey for you. Um, you know, the, the, you mentioned about how he dominated from the defensive end, and, and you played with Michael Jordan. It, you know, obviously Michael was the combination guy. He could do it on both ends of the, of the floor. But what do you think sets guys like, like uh, MJ and, and like uh, Bill Russell, what sets them apart from the other good and the other great players? Well, yeah, I played with MJ. I also played with uh, Bernard King. Uh, I played with Patrick Ewing. Uh, so I think, you know, when you get – Guys like that, there's there's a tone that's set, and that tone is every single night we're gonna bring our best effort, and we're gonna bring our best mind to the game. And it's I, I just always believed it's just really interesting. At one point in time during the game, you'll have an opportunity to win that game, but you have to give your opponent an opportunity whether and it doesn't matter what it is if it's poor shooting if it's foul trouble if it's whatever kind of difficulty is having that i'm i'm always a big believer is that when you give players teams an opportunity to lose they'll take it but you have to give them that opportunity and um when you playing with a guy like Bill Russell, a certain tone is set, a certain level of play is set, a certain standard is set. And that standard of excellence, it carries over every single night. And that's what really made it special about, I think, those Celtic teams that really no other NBA team has ever captured to win that many championships. Uh, that excellence, that effort, that focus every single game. And just think that, you know, the Warriors, by going to five straight finals, that was the first time anybody had done that since since Boston in the 60s. Um, that shows you how hard it is. It, it is really hard, not only to be able to keep your core group together, uh, whether it's uh, trades or whatever, or just health, but also, to me, that second group – and I call them, I don't call them bench guys, that second group of starters who come in the game. That's that's what makes your team. That's what made our team when we were with Chicago. 
because our core guys were the same. But those guys coming off the bench, guys like Will Perdue, Stacey King, Scott Williams, B.J. Armstrong, uh, Steve Kerr, um, uh, Craig Hodges, Cliff Livingston, it just it just goes on and on. And then later on, we get a guy like Dennis Rodman who come off the bench. I mean, just to be able to add those guys in, in that core group, that's what made us special. That's what made the Celtics special. Is that and now once those guys were able to get off the floor and take a little break, that second group of starters could not only keep your lead, but a lot of a lot of times to be able to extend it. So it's just it's just really, really interesting. And the same thing happened this year with the Warriors. Um, the Warriors simply just wore down Boston. Boston, you know, interesting enough. We're playing seven, eight guys, which I always think is humorous. <laughs> you're playing seven guys. I don't know why you're paying those other guys for being over there. You don't trust them, so why are they? Why are they your team? But the Warriors had it had a better bench, and better production. Uh, they were fresher. So when you have more guys that can play at a higher level, uh, the chances of you winning are are, are pretty darn good. Yeah, no question. The strength in numbers is what the Warriors have gone by during this era, and they had it this year. Uh, just a couple more before I let, I let you go, and I really appreciate your time. The generation of athletes that you played with, you know, what what was the appreciation? You know, we've talked about players using their platform now for good and, you know, through social media, whatever. But, you know, back in the 60s, it was guys like Muhammad Ali, like Jim Brown, like Bill Russell, who were in the the trenches, you know, during civil rights, and you know, what did that mean? Do you think to your uh, generation of, of of athletes? Well, what it does to us, it, it separates them and it makes those guys heroes. These guys were able to use by whatever means their platform to stand up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves. And obviously, it wasn't uh, it wasn't very popular thing that somebody, an athlete, would be would be standing up like this to uh, to really what was going on in the in the '60s, which wasn't good, or the '70s, which wasn't good, and have people speak out. And uh, in a lot of situations, it was uh, it was pretty dangerous for them. So now I think it's a little more trendier uh, where guys guys are, are supposed to speak up. There's a lot of different ways for them to, to get their message out in the, in, and they do. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of positive things going on that way. So but then uh, with Russ back then in those days, Jim Brown, uh, Kareem, but he got in there, Muhammad Ali, uh, that makes those guys heroes. And that that really separated them uh, from everybody else, from every other athlete, because uh, other guys didn't feel it was their role to be able to do that, or that they should do that anyway, because it wasn't kosher. So um, that's that's something more than anything, more than playing sports, more than playing. Uh, uh, doing any kind of athletic thing they did on the floor. That's what I think people really remember from Bill Russell. 
As I, I close this part of the podcast out, I, I wouldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what you think of the game today, the Warriors, and, and what is keeping uh, Bill Cartwright busy? Well, I, um, you don't know, but I am uh, director of initiatives at uh, you know the greatest university on the planet, the University of San Francisco, <laughs> with, with, our, with our great leader, Father Paul Fitzgerald, and uh, we're, we're accomplishing great things over there, and now we're trying to lead the way, so uh, that's that's what I'm doing right now. So, as a matter of fact, you should come over and uh, tune in a, a, a Don's game, basketball game, uh, guys and gals. Uh, it's very exciting, fun, and and I'll be there. Well, cool. I'll have to head out to the hilltop then. You, you got to get out there and, uh, and make sure you're wearing your green and gold. <laughs> Okay, I ha- I'll have to I'll have to dig for that. Yeah, remember I've been uh, all the all the gear I have is blue and gold, so uh, <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to find some somewhere. Let's uh, somewhere we'll we'll find something for you. Okay. Well, Bill, yeah. I, I I appreciate your time and your words. Uh, you know, obviously he's he Bill Russell was an icon. He's the greatest winner uh, America has ever produced in the sporting life, and so. Uh, uh, I appreciate you, your words and your thoughts, and best of luck to you and the Dons, and, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be on, and uh, and go Dons. My thanks to the great Bill Cartwright, and hope you enjoyed that part of the podcast. We move on now to a conversation Jim Barnett, along with Bill Russell, years ago when Bill came back to the Bay Area. As our appreciation of Bill Russell continues here on the Warriors podcast. Jim Barnett here for Warriors TV and a most honored and special guest, the great Bill Russell. 11 championships in 13 years. And you know, all those championship years, you had a lot of battles with some pretty good Warriors teams who were here in San Francisco. And I know there were great centers in that day, but you went up against one of the best in Nate Thurman. And I'm curious about your battles with Nate Thurman and how they all played out. Well, uh, Nate was a great center. You know, uh, I look at all these guys with all these uh, talk about who the great players were, and uh, I don't think Nate gets Nate gets the credit that he should because he's a great player. And uh, I can honestly say I never looked forward to playing against him. <laughs> I was, that was never something I looked forward to. Would you consider at that era probably the two best defensive centers in the league? Well, I know that uh, he and Wilt are considerable problems. <laughs> but I would consider, you're, you're the greatest defensive center of all time, and Nate Thurman, you know, of course, he averaged 15 a game, but uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said he was uh, always maybe perhaps the toughest center that uh, he ever played against. I think, I think you and he were the two best defensive centers in the league. Well, uh, that's nice to put me in that category. <laughs> I'm not dumb, you know. <laughs> no, Nate was a really great center, and uh, and he always came to play. Which, the great, the great ones do. Yes, and uh, he never sent his shoes out. He came out ready to go. Someone who was a teammate of his and uh, later became the coach and, and brought the Warriors a championship in 1975. You talk about someone who came ready to play and was tough. Adel Adels, and they called him the destroyer. Well, uh, we used to call him Steel, S-T-E-E-L, because that's where he was hard as steel. And 
uh, Casey used to say that was easily the toughest guy you ever played against. We're uh, here in Oakland, McClyman's High School, and a special day for you uh, unveiling the uh, Wall of Champions, the Bill Russell Wall of Champions. This school here, McClyman's High School, has produced a lot of good basketball players, as has Oakland, Paul Silas, uh, Gary Payton from Oakland, um, when you look at others around, and, uh, Jason uh, Kidd. And there was another athlete that was fairly good in basketball and ba baseball, a guy named Frank Robinson. We were high school teammates. Harry McClyman's. Yes, and uh, he won the MVP in both leagues, which is quite an accomplishment. Yeah. I think he did that with the Cincinnati Reds in the National League and then the Baltimore Orioles in the American League. That's right. You know, you've been reading again? <laughs> he was always one of my favorite players. <laughs> Mine too. Good. Um, Bill, you know, I, I know you did the Mr. Russell's House interview, but and there's so, that's such a, an extraordinary interview with Bill Simmons. But they were at, in, the, in that had your coach, Red Auerbach, and he said all these championship banners, he couldn't pick out just one. You won 11 championships. Does one stick out more than the other? Is one more special, perhaps your rookie year when you won the championship, your initial season well, in the NBA? There were two, actually. There were two? Yeah, my rookie year and my last year. It's a sort of a bracket. Uh, I was the only player that was on the rookie team that was on the last team. And so we went through our transitions of the personnel. Uh, you know, we only had one trade while I was there. And so we evolved from one type of team to a different type of team, but they were both the same type of team. You were a great leader, and I played for you for that one year. When they made you player coach, what was your response to that? Why did you take the job? And how did you handle that responsibility knowing you were already a great player and won the championships, but now you had, a, had to wear a different hat also? How, how tough was that transition? Well, you know, uh, my favorite coach of all time is Ray Dalbach. There's no, no question about that. Uh, Red was a personality. His last year's coaching, he got thrown out of 16 games. And the captain had to take over. So I had a 16-game experience by the time I got to the job. And so, uh, uh, and Red and I, when I was captain, we used to play gin and rummy at nights when we both could not sleep. And we talked about the game a lot of nights. And you talk about things that nobody outside Red had ever said to me about certain things. And, you know, he talked about uh, substitution. It's not just go, you go in, you go in. He was always calculating as how much firepower you had and how much defense you had. And he tried to keep that balanced. And so uh, when I went to coaching, there was a lot of my decisions, which, based on that, to the general public, didn't make sense. You know what I mean? You said, well, why are you putting him in? Well, you got to have a balance.
And so uh, and Red and I used to talk about that kind of stuff all the time. I, I learned a great deal about coaching and how to manage a game. When you retired as a player and you were coaching at that time in 1969, you chose not to stay on just as a coach. Well, I tell you, uh, in the city of Boston, okay, I knew that when I and Sam both left, there was not going to be that good a team. Okay, if I stay on coaching, it would be maybe two years or three years before Red would have to fire me. He would have to, okay, because you're losing, and it was not a popular choice for me being the coach anyway. And I had three kids that I was going to have to afford to send them to college. If I thought if I stayed in Boston, I was not going to be able to do that because there was no job for me outside the Celtics. And so uh, I left and started over to get myself in position when my kids got ready to send them to college. And uh, my daughter, my youngest child, uh, graduated high school, went to Georgetown University, and then to Harvard Law School. And uh, if I stayed in Boston, I would not have been able to do that. You played against Rick Barry, one of the, a very prolific scorer, and, uh, and talk about a competitor. Yes, he was. You know, Rick and I were talking about I'll block his shots. And he said he'd go to the hoop and I'd never have my hands up. I always have my hands on my side. And he says, why'd you always have your hands on your side? I said, that's the only way you can jump. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> you see, I used to always think from the defensive end first. And we used to use it by defense to trigger our offense. And it's, uh, it's just one step from offense to defense. I have a final question for you, Bill, and you've been very, very, very gracious, and I appreciate that. The game has transitioned. In your era, my era as well, every team had a good center, a great center. You, you couldn't afford not to have one. Today, there are not many good centers around. And then everybody didn't have a good center either. Then, the no, other guys had reputations that uh, were not that good. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, uh, there are a lot of nights that I consider having it's a night off. And then we play Philadelphia Wilt, and I wish I had a night off. <laughs> Why are centers not as relevant in today's NBA? Because of the offenses they set up. Uh, when I went to Boston, the center was irrelevant. All the offense was Kuzi, Sharman, and Heisen. And so, uh, but Red, uh, I'll tell you about this conversation, Red, you might know about it, but uh, Red says uh, about there's about 15 games left, and Rich says, I want you to come next game early. Okay. He says, uh, we separate the stats while they put the floor down in the baskets. He says, uh, do you know how good you are? I said, yeah, I know. He says, uh, 
You're the best player playing basketball. I said, I know that. I knew that when I got here. <laughs> he says, well, I want you to know that I know it. Uh, but I must confess, I do not know what you're doing. So I can't help you. But what I will do, as soon as I figure out what you're doing, one at a time, I'll make them part of my system. So uh, one of the first things he found out, I was an excellent passer. So for 12 straight years, which I'm really proud of, I was second on the team in assists for 12 straight years. So, uh, and uh, some of the scoring and some of the assists did not come into play. So I never worried about those numbers because uh, I, I was a great rebounder and I was the best that ever did it out in that pass. Well, if you get a rebound out of that pass right, by the time you get to half court, they're coming back. So you're really not part of the offense except you started it. And you have to accept that yourself that nobody in the building is going to know how important that was. I, I recall you making an outlet pass. They would run down to the other end, Havlicek and Sam Jones and Casey, Don Nelson, Bailey Howell. And you would venture towards half court, but very, very often you did not cross the half court line in the offensive set. Well, the reason for that was uh, my first six years, I think it was, I averaged 46 minutes a game, okay? So, now how can I do 46 minutes? Nobody's that much in shape. So, rather than sit me down, Red and I figured out how I could rest without being standing around. So I would outlet, get a rebound outlet, and I wouldn't have to have to run. Because by the time I got to half court, they were coming back. And so in order to get a rest, I would pound the boards and outlet, and, uh, and I could never worry about scoring. And so uh, I think that my best year, I was third on the team in scoring. That was my best year, I, but I never ever came close to lead the team in scoring, which everybody says that's the criteria for a great player. I want to thank you for um, helping the Warriors out here and hey, uh, the interview today. And hey, Jim. Yes, sir. Knock it off. <laughs> I played with you, and I love playing with you. Okay. As short as it was, thank you. Yeah, okay. I, I wish I could have given you another ring. <laughs> Helped help on that. <laughs> that was Jim Barnett in conversation with Bill Russell. Well, that's the Warriors podcast. We'll be back and hopefully make these dog days of the NBA pass a little bit quicker for you in the month of August. And, and you, can you believe it? The Warriors will be opening camp at the end of September. It's coming very quickly. And, of course, it always does when you win an NBA championship. And so thrilled about that. But my thanks to Bill Carwright for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks to Jim Barnett for letting us use the conversation. R.C. Davis slapped this one together for us, and we hope you enjoyed it. And We know you have a lot of choices out there where you can go 
to find out information and to listen. So if you're listening to this podcast, thank you so much for stopping by and checking it out. And please continue to do so. We archive them. If you want to go back and listen to some of the ones we had during last year's championship season, please go ahead and do that as well. I, Tim Roy, and thank you for checking out the Warriors podcast.